live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, if you want to chime in that way. Uh, the phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And it's Monday. Happy to be back with you guys. Great weekend. Yesterday was National Puerto Rican Day, and uh, the big parade in New York City on Fifth Avenue uh, was uh, enjoyable. I attended, and it was really nice. If you want to check it out, some some videos and photos on the social media accounts. But I want to switch gears to some of the news that's occurring today, right? So the, the Unabomber was found dead. He's been in jail forever and a day, and he was found dead in his prison cell. The Ronald Reagan speech, the famous speech, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That turned 36 years old today. It's the 36th anniversary of the tear down this wall speech. Pat Sajak is retiring from Wheel of Fortune. Now, I don't normally start with the softer side of news, but I wanted to mention those because I thought those were really big and important stories. Now, here's another one. Uh, almost half of the people polled in a recent poll, uh, they feel that this indictment of Trump is political. And uh, I find this to be interesting here. Listen to this. ABC and Ipsos conducted a poll uh, after this um, indictment. They found 48% of Americans think Trump was rightfully charged in the classified documents case, while 35 do not think he should have been indicted. And about 17% of them reported feeling unsure about whether the former president should have been indicted the second time. Uh, amongst the political party lines, 86% of Democrats and 45% of independents said they support the indictment. No shocker there. While the majority of Republicans, 67 percent, disagree with the charges against Trump. Now, there's another poll. Let me see if I find it. I was just looking at it before. This one is from CBS. And the CBS poll, one of the, the, the takeaways that I, I saw on this, was, I found very interesting, was that 61 percent of those that were polled, uh, I think of Republicans that were polled, they didn't care uh, about the indictment. They said the indictment had uh, no uh, no bearing on their. Uh, this was a, a a poll on the electability of Trump. They just didn't care, and I thought interesting because that that sounds uh, like a, a reasonable number. I know that there's some Republicans that I talk to and interview on this program and whatnot, but. Most of them uh, aren't phased, right? They're like, it's more business as usual. This is typically how things go. This is what they do to, to get at El Trompito. However, um, I, you know, I've, I would have put that number at 50% just by eyeballing it. But according to the poll, 61% just aren't phased by it. But a couple of other takeaways here, which I thought was interesting. 76%, this is uh, CBS News and YouGov, different poll. 76% say the indictment was politically motivated. 
let's see what this number is, 78% feel that the documents were not any type of national security risk. So only 12% did believe that there was some sort of national security threat by Trump possessing these documents. Isn't that something? So, uh, and I guess that sounds, uh, again, it sounds right to me, just you know, from the tempo that I get from, uh, from speaking with people and how I gauge things. Anyway, we're going to have a really interesting open phone America tonight. We'll do that in hour three, but just a, a tease, a little taste of that. There's a spending gap, spending difference between baby boomers and Generation Z. Now, of course, one would think, well, yeah, I mean, the you know, baby boomers are retiring and are at the height of their career, the tail end of their career, where, you know, their, their earning potential should be significantly higher. However... Uh, it goes beyond that into the way that they're living and how they're spending, what they're choosing to spend on, which is interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, also, there's a study out that finds that obesity can irreversibly damage your brain. Man, maybe that's what happened to me in my uh, really heavy days. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, I want to get into that. I also want to talk about a, f- a few other things. Tonight, we're going to get into a couple of uh, interesting topics. One of the things that we're going to get into is how, you know, they come after Trump with everything they've got. And I say they, and I mean those that don't want him. He, he presents a threat to a lot of people, and they package it in a way that's palatable to, to certain people who find displeasure in Trump some way or somehow, right? So, for example, I mean, like the, the, the idea that people don't like politics stems from statements like these. Look, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. You know, it's like crook A or crook B, right? I'm sure you've heard this type of talk before, right? You, you know people. Yeah, you, you yourself may be one of these people that feels this way. And the reason people make jokes like that age-old adage, um, how does that one go? How do you know a politician's lying? His lips are moving, right? Th- these, are, these are not jokes that are designed for any particular party. They're designed because there's a stereotype around politicians that they're dishonest and self-serving granted and this is why people overall just don't like to be involved in politics overall because they believe that it's dirty so when one side focuses on the other side and they um they bring attention to to one thing or another immediately they're like no because this one's lying or that one's lying But I think it's important that we really pay attention to all of the facts because there's a lot going on right now, right? Well, everybody's talking about the Trump indictment, which I believe is a, is a serious thing. It's a, um, a big deal. There's still plenty going on with Joe El Baboso Biden, right? I mean, this is a a very big deal. The FBI now says that uh, well, not the FBI. Chuck Grassley says that according to the memo from the FBI, that there may be an audio recording that was obtained by the one of the executives at Burisma when there was this uh, one of these illegal deals that they're claiming that Joe Biden uh, was involved in taking a, a bribe. Now, I don't know how real that is. I, you know, I, I remember when they said that, you know, President Trump was in Russia peeing on prostitutes. And obviously that that turned out to be uh, incredibly false. So, you know, I don't know what the story is here. It sounds on par for Biden. But my point is the, the these people in Washington, 
people that are in the media, people of influence, they try to appeal to people who say, oh, you don't like Trump. You don't like his hair. You don't like his tweets. You don't like this. You don't like that. You just don't like his success because you're a hater. Well, then don't like him for those reasons. But the reason they don't like him is because he's always presented a threat to the way things go because there are crooks on both sides of the aisle. And, and there's honor amongst thieves. And it's that honor amongst thieves that, that they respect. You know, it's rival drug dealers, but they're both sell, selling crack, right? That's what they do. And I think it's so important that we never lose sight of that and understand that this is why they come at people like Trump, like those that associate themselves with Trump, who try to make a difference. And that's when they'll try to destroy you and belittle you and do whatever they can to destroy any semblance of a nice life that you might have. And we've seen it with countless people in Trump world. It's not that Trump surrounds himself with evil people. It's that they've come after these people to try and break them and to try and create this guilt by association that, in my opinion, is just totally unfair. But we're going to get to to that in a moment. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. If you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's the phone number. I'm Rich Valdez. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The ridiculous and baseless indictment of me by the Biden administration's weaponized Department of Injustice will go down as among the most horrific abuses of power in the history of our country. Many people have said that. Democrats have even said it. This vicious persecution is a travesty of justice. You're watching Joe Biden. Joe, by think of it, Biden is trying to jail his leading political opponent, an opponent that's beating him by a lot in the polls, just like they do in Stalinist Russia or communist China. No different. No different, and I think President Trump is right. Welcome back, America. I, I want to go into this a little bit because, again, we talked about it, but I think it's, a, it's worthy of, of discussion because, to me, it's, it's one small part in a very large equation. Coming after Trump is not just coming after Trump. There's, there's an effect here, uh, a real net effect on all Americans, in my opinion, as we start to create these precedents that hurt us all, and if you will, damage the brand of the United States. You know, we, we haven't seen anything like this in our history ever. But here we here we are, right? Not 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 just one indictment, but now two indictments of a former president. Um, not just one impeachment, but two impeachments of a, one of them after the fact, right? <laughs> he was already gone from office. I mean, it's just absolute insanity that what what we're seeing. But we're seeing it. And to me, it's being normalized in a way. And, and it's not just Trump, right? There other people in Trump's orbit that they're trying to create this guilt by association and they're going after these people as well. And, and I think it's just, um, it's just eye opening, honestly. Um, it's the type of thing that you, you've seen in other countries and you may have seen even politically in this country, but I'd never seen it uh, at this level and to this degree. 
So I want to welcome Jeff Clark. He's a senior fellow and director of litigation for the Center for Renewing America. He's also a former assistant United States attorney general uh, during the Trump years. Jeff Clark, welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Rich. Glad to be here. You bet. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your time in office with President Trump and and a little bit about, if you don't mind sharing your story of how how they've come after you. Sure. Well, first of all, we'll start with uh, my experience in government. So I spent a total of uh, six and a half years at the Justice Department, spread across two different Republican administrations, first for George W. Bush from 2001 to 2005, and then from, would have been longer, uh, and I'll tell you that story, from 2018 to early 2021 with President Trump uh, in a more senior position, since obviously there you know, were a gap of a number of years in there for, uh, for Obama. So, uh, you know, I was appointed the uh, Senate-confirmed head of the Environment Division, which is one of the seven litigating divisions in the Justice Department, by President Trump, nominated, and had a hearing before the end of 2017. Should have been confirmed on normal, uh, you know, track of non-obstructionism before the end of 2017. But Mm -hmm. the Democrats actually picked me up, Rich, until uh, mid-October. Right after Brett Kavanaugh got confirmed, uh, I was called up for a floor vote, and uh, then I got sworn in on November 1st, 2018, and then ultimately I was the only assistant attorney general of those seven divisions who was actually given two divisions to run, the second division in 2020. So then I also became, so at the same time I was the assistant attorney general for the environment division, I was also the acting assistant attorney general for the civil division. So that uh, put 1,400 lawyers at the Justice Department in Maine Justice under my control. So, uh, you know, that's a, uh, a, a heady experience and one that not a lot of lawyers get. There aren't a lot of lawyers who've been the heads of uh, two different divisions, let alone two different divisions at the same time. And, uh, you know, I was promoted into that spot by uh, Bill Barr, actually, although he would, uh, you know, begin to badmouth me to CBS News at, uh, at a future date. You know, back then he issued a glowing press release. And again, I was the only one running uh, two of the seven litigating divisions. And I also, uh, and this is the beginning of the troubles, the only uh, assistant attorney general, only Senate confirmed official really who wanted to spend uh, a lot of energy looking at all of the election irregularities that that, uh, happened in the 2020 presidential election. And, uh, you know, we had uh, confidential conversations about that inside the Justice Department and in the Oval Office. But uh, after President Trump had left office a short time after the inauguration, just a few days, actually, uh, those who had opposed me inside the Justice Department and didn't want to do uh, anything really to look at election uh, problems, um, they, uh, although they professed that they did, I can, you know, for reasons I can explain, they really didn't uh, look mm-hmm. hard at all the problems the American people saw with the election. I wanted to. And so they went to the New York Times and they gave them anonymous leaks. And, uh, you know, that's when uh, essentially, you know, it made it difficult for me to get a job. Uh, you know, the New York Times hung uh, ridiculous allegations uh, on my head, like I was plotting a coup of the United States to uh, do the equivalent of make Trump king, uh, <laughs> all things that are ridiculous. And uh, so, uh, you know, I ultimately, uh, the uh, various uh, Democrat congressional committees came after me. First, it was the Senate Judiciary Committee and then the House Oversight Committee. And then ultimately, 
the most dread committee of all, the January 6th Select Committee. And uh, Dick Durbin, uh, the chair of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate at the time, he issued a report attacking me. And, uh, and then actually, um, he, not, not on behalf of the committee, not even on behalf of all of the Democrats in the majority, but just, you know, on his lonesome, he sent a letter to the D.C. bar basically arguing that they should uh, take my license away based on uh, what ultimately had grown out of those uh, New York Times leaks in, uh, in January of 2021. So I've been fighting the, uh, the D.C. bar to, uh, to push back on their, uh, you know, kind of shifting claims about why it is that uh, I should uh, be uh, charged with unethical conduct. Um, and so that battle still goes on. It has not reached a conclusion. I can give you an update, but let me let me switch gears to the January 6th committee quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, they attempted to uh, to compel me to testify, particularly about conversations I'd had with President Trump, which I don't think uh, they had any ability to penetrate into. Uh, I thought it violated the separation of powers, and President Trump sent me a letter through one of his lawyers instructing me to take executive privilege. I also had a uh, letter from the Justice Department telling me to uh, to take law enforcement privilege if I was asked about law enforcement activities, which the January 6th committee wanted to do. So I told him, no can do. I can't, I can't uh, you know, respond to your subpoena and provide you what you're looking for because I'm bound by privilege, including lawyer-client privilege, because I believe that uh, the president is the head of the executive branch and any uh, lawyer at the Justice Department is inferior to him and is providing legal advice uh, to that principal. So uh, principal with an A, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L. Right, right. As in the executive. Exactly. He is the executive. He is the principal. I am but the agent. And so it took uh, the January 6th committee, uh, November 5th, I think was the first date that I went in. I told, you know, we delivered the, to them a 20 page letter about how this was all privileged and other problems, including with the misconstruction of the committee. I mean, the committee was jerry rigged and, and picked by Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you know, and uh, did not include any Republican members who were selected in ordinary ways by the Republican conference. They were only, uh, I think, pretend Republicans, Kensinger and Cheney. Uh, Yeah, which was all theater. Jeff Clark, I just want to pause real quick. I want to step in for a second and remind everybody that we're on with Jeff Clark, senior fellow and director of litigation for the Center for Renewing America, former uh, assistant United States attorney general. And we're going to come right back to him and continue this story of how they've come after him because he was in Trump world. Don't move a muscle. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. It's America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. You 
see this as different and separate from what he would term the Russian hoax, um, what we saw from the Durham report? You see these as two totally separate tracks? Yes, because in Russia, there was nothing, there, there, there was no problem or issue underlying the Russia gate claim. It was an effort to knock him out with a false claim. Here, I think the government acted responsibly. They gave him every opportunity to return those documents. They acted with restraint. They were very deferential to him, and they were very patient. They talked to him for almost a year to try to get those documents, and he jerked them around. They finally went to a subpoena, and what did he do? According to the government, he lied and obstructed that subpoena. And then they did a search and they found a lot more documents. And they're not even, I don't think they're even sure now whether they have everything. So they acted in a very patient way, and, and what were they were met with was, according to the government and the, and the indictment, very egregious obstruction. All right, that is uh, former United States uh, Attorney General Bill Barr on Fox News Sunday with Shannon Bream. And our guest is Jeff Clark, former Assistant Attorney General uh, served under General Barr and President Trump. Uh, he's now senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. And Jeff Clark, when you hear uh, A.G. Barr say that this was handled responsibly, um, I know you, you worked for Bill Barr and he promoted you, as you mentioned in the previous segment. Do you feel that his analysis is accurate? No, I, I don't. But to, to just finish up quickly about sure. the point that, you know, before we ran into break, you know, the, the, the basic point is that the January 6th committee refused to honor the privileges. It, it said that Joe Biden had uh, waived President Trump's executive privilege, which is quite an extraordinary proposition. And as a question, the Supreme Court is still. It kept seems open that they've until, done that, uh, Tim, on, on an, a today. number of occasions. And it, it's exactly. kind of becoming par for the course that he doesn't get any protections from his attorneys. That's right. And, and you know, they tried to uh, strong arm me, basically, you know, at the pain of criminal contempt, which I resisted. And, you know, they ever, never actually sent me to the floor to refer me to the Justice Department. Otherwise, I would have faced the same fate that uh, Steve Bannon and, and Peter Navarro faced in all likelihood. Mm-hmm. And they would have tried to prosecute me for criminal contempt. So I'll, I'll leave that story and now return to your to your clip about Barr. I do mm-hmm. not think that the Justice Department proceeded in a patient and uh, measured way here and that this is President Trump being obstinate. I think this this was an operation, essentially, much like uh, Russiagate, but uh, more sophisticated and more focused on action by lawyers as opposed to uh, actions by investigators. I think they tried to lay traps for President Trump. I think that uh, the indictment that came out is uh, really, uh, you know, not worthy of the department uh, against President Trump. I think it's a it's another witch hunt. And I think what they did working with the uh, the National Archives was that, you know, they tried to to line up these traps for President Trump so that they would make arguments that he had to return documents to them, even though, and they were going to turn that into a criminal process, even though there's a civil statute that governs it, the Presidential Records Act. And even though that act actually doesn't even give, you know, you'd have to use a common law action to recover property because presidential records are supposed to be the property of the United States. So the statute argues, I think the statute has constitutional dubiousness in it. But the president's the head of the Article II branch of government, 
These papers has, had historically been uh, the president's personal property. The new statute, the Presidential Records Act, basically bifurcated things into personal records and presidential records, with the latter being something that there was public ownership of. But the seam between the line between personal records and mm -hmm. presidential records is debatable and was essentially left to the discretion of the president. And there's no mechanism in the statute for the National Archives to basically override the president's decisions about in, into what box that falls. Uh, so inherently, I think when Trump took documents with him, they fell into the personal records category. And indeed, when an analogous kind of issue arose as to President Clinton in the so-called sock drawer case, uh, you know, a judge in D.C. held that uh, there was no ability to compel NARA to go grab the documents from President Trump. So a lot changes in the uh, intervening years between Clinton and Trump magically you know, Clinton can refuse to turn over uh, information he's recorded with a historian of actual government business. But President Trump takes documents and, oh, my God, the heavens are falling. And he is uh, uh, an agent of, of espionage, even though there's been no indication that any foreign power saw anything that he had locked up at Mar-a-Lago. Right. Yeah. And, and I think this is an important point uh, that you're you've made, at least an important one from from what I've seen. I think is absent from a lot of conversations is this um, this line of demarcation between personal records and presidential records and the uh, the gray area that it plays. Is this going to be the, what his defense team leads with, you think? I think that's going to be one of the major things uh, uh, that they, they lead with because the indictment's entirely silent on the Presidential Records Act. It's like whistling past the graveyard they don't even acknowledge that it exists and that, that it's on the field. Um, so actually, I've been conducting some you know, Twitter debates with uh, you know, people who are lawyers or armchair lawyers or think they're lawyers, uh, you know, saying, well, there's, there's no reference in the Espionage Act to the Presidential Records Act. Ergo, they can just decide to ignore the Presidential Records Act. That doesn't follow. It's not the way legal analysis goes. There's a general principle, Rich, that the specific controls the general. And if you're talking about presidential records, not any form of records held by any person inside the executive branch, you know, the, that's a general statute, the Espionage Act. It's a very general statute. You know, it applies to thousands and thousands of uh, federal employees who might access uh, national defense information. But the president is unique. You know, he's in a class of one, and there's a statute about that class of one, and it's called the Presidential Records Act. Right. Interesting. Folks, and we're so, on with, uh, let me just remind everybody who you are. We're on with uh, Jeff Clark. He's a former assistant attorney general during the Trump years. Uh, he's senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. And Jeff Clark, did you want to make a follow-up point to that, to that last one? Well, so, you know, look, I, I think that um, there was also a lot of back and forth about the issue of, are these documents classified? Right. Are they simply marked classified, but they were declassified later and the markings weren't removed, which was one of the traps I think they were laying for President Trump and his lawyers. But I think one way in which they have decided to try to sidestep that is by using the Espionage Act, because the Espionage Act actually does not refer to classified documents. What it restricts essentially are uh, is doing certain things with, quote unquote, national uh, defense information. So, uh, you know, you, you, we've had this like back and forth kind of public debate uh, between President Trump's defenders and President Trump's foes for months about classified documents. And again, I think 
they they pull the rug out uh, from under some of that by saying, oh, fine, we'll, we'll charge them under the Espionage Act because that statute travels under a different term of art, national defense information. And that's why they've been pounding the drum about the recording they have uh, of this conversation that supposedly involves military plans to invade Iran. Hmm. What type of uh, exposure do you think that uh, puts former President Trump in? Well, I mean, the statute provides uh, penalties. They have a whole table uh, for each of the kind of sub-offenses that they're charging. I mean, you know, it adds up, I think, to more than a century. Um, But, you know, probably uh, those things would not run uh, consecutively. But in any event, I think President Trump has many strong defenses. Uh, I also think that the whole uh, thing was uh, was a trap. It's all a Mm -hmm. selective prosecution against President Trump and a violation of the Equal Protection Clause, because, as we know, uh, you know, Pence and Biden uh, have serious uh, document issues. They said they're not going to prosecute Pence. The investigation into uh, President Biden continues, which magically seems sealed tighter uh, than a drum, whereas there are constant leaks against President Trump. Right. And they argue that that President Trump was somehow willful here, and that distinguishes him from Biden and Pence. But in reality, there's a key distinguishing factor. And what that is, Rich, is that President Trump is the only president among the three. Biden's problems go back to when he was a vice president and had no declassification authority, and worse yet, to when he was a senator and had no declassification authority. Pence had no declassification authority. Only Trump had declassification authority, and he's the only one they're prosecuting. Right. And now, in, in, uh, in a, again, as a non-lawyer, uh, I hear you tell me somebody has declassification authority and is, you know, the the main person in the executive branch. Um, wouldn't that mean he could declassify anything he wants whenever he wants? Yes. Yes. If Congress wanted to pass a statute, right, they could try, but there's not really anything like that. This all the, the classification regime travels under executive order. So executive orders don't bind uh, future presidents. And, you know, if President Trump issues one of his own executive orders, right, if he does something differently, inherently he is amended or set aside the executive order. So he is the font of declassification authority. Um, you know, this, that, that's, that's something that the, the, the folks in the media uh, ignore because they basically want to treat President Trump, you know, like he's a Gulliver tied down by Lilliputians inside the intelligence community that they can have a process and they can impose it on the president and they can tell him what hoops he's got to jump through to declassify. No, they're his inferiors, Rich. And he has the superior power to decide when and how to declassify. Folks, we're on with Jeff Clark. We're coming right back to continue this conversation. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. out blame him he did it he kept he took documents he wasn't supposed to take he kept them when they asked him back for them they got a grand jury subpoena he refused to comply they raided his home finally because he refused to comply 
All right, folks, that's uh, former Governor Chris Christie, former United States attorney for the District of New Jersey, uh, my former boss. And he uh, is on the CNN town hall stage tonight uh, taking shots at Trump since he's announced his own candidacy for president again. Jeff Clark is our guest, former assistant uh, U.S. attorney general under Trump and senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. Jeff Clark, when you hear uh, Chris Christie say that we should focus on Trump and not on the Department of Justice overreaching. Um, what's your take? They've overreached on so many things, uh, particularly since President Biden came in. But it's a problem that, uh, you know, predates uh, the President Biden. It predates President Trump. It's a problem of the bureaucratization of the department and of the the pernicious idea, which I've recently written of long Uh, legal paper uh, attacking this concept, that the DOJ is independent. The framers knew that the DOJ, first of all, the DOJ did not come into existence until 1870, which maybe many of your listeners would not know uh, based on how people talk these days. The attorney general cabinet position was one of the original four that was created uh, by George Washington. But, uh, you know, the attorney general clearly was an inferior to the and reported directly to the president and the president could direct the activities of the attorney general. And the Constitution has not changed since then. After Watergate, there was an attempt to pass a statute to try to turn the Justice Department into an independent agency, but it failed and it was never adopted. Then, as you know, there was an independent counsel statute, right? They pursued uh, Reagan under it. They pursued uh, uh Clinton under it, uh, and Congress got tired of it on both sides. And so it it had a sunset provision, and if they let it lapse, it's never been adopted again. So the Justice Department is not independent. You'll constantly hear on TV. You'll constantly hear from legal academics. You'll constantly even hear from, you know, uh, uh, milquetoast Republicans that the Justice Department is independent. The Justice Department is not independent, Rich. The Justice Department reports to the president, and the president is responsible for the Justice Department's actions. And indeed, what happened with the Mar-a-Lago raid reveals mm-hmm. that. Initially, they tried to argue that the FBI had, on their own authority, decided to do the raid. Then they had uh, Attorney General Garland come out and say, no, I authorized it. While well, they had uh, Jean, uh, uh, Jean-Pierre, uh, Karine yes. Jean-Pierre, I'm sorry, say that uh, you know Biden had absolutely no involvement but then, you know, documents were FOIA'd, and it came out that actually under the Presidential Records Act, which supposedly is supposed to be irrelevant to uh, this Justice Department, to this fight, uh, there's a provision in that that says that the president has to, the current president has to authorize access to the former president's documents. And so actually there, there were documents indicating that President Biden specifically authorized uh, access to uh, these documents. Uh, as they, you know, were or might come into the possession of the National Archives. So that they were caught in a complete lie that President Biden had nothing to do with this. Of course, he had something to do with it. And of course, you know, not only is he responsible for anything he directly orders, like in that special uh, program under the Presidential Records Act, but also he he violated the terms of that statute in terms of what he did to Trump. And uh, he's certainly responsible for not exercising his authority because he can tell uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, what to do uh, on any day, all day, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So fast forwarding a little bit to tomorrow in Miami, um, what do you think we can expect to see coming out of um, tomorrow's hearing? 
I think tomorrow's hearing uh, largely will be uh, uneventful. I think, you know, on MSNBC and CNN, it will be reported breathlessly with each dilation of who's coming into the courthouse and, uh, you know, reports and and potential sketch artists and so on. But I think, look, he's going to show up. They're going to put him through a process. He'll be presented to uh, in front of the judge at the arraignment. He will plead uh, not guilty. They might have a discussion about the scheduling of motions, but I don't think they're going to set any kind of trial date. Um, the government might ask for some special restrictions to be placed on President Trump because they don't like him uh, talking to, to the press because they only like mediation right through the media. They only like them to speak for each side. Right. Uh, they don't like President Trump going directly to the people. Hopefully the judge will refuse to impose those restrictions. I think there are violations of the First Amendment anyway. Sure. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, the, the, it will enter a long phase of litigation. I think we'll look at a series of motions by President Trump to try to dismiss this case, to try to narrow what evidence can come in. Uh, to point out how unfair this entire process is. I don't I don't think you're going to see big fireworks or huge developments or any kind of jailing or anything like that tomorrow, Rich. All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. Jeff Clark, uh, senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. Jeff Clark, let everybody know how to follow you and support you and what you're doing. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Rich. So I am at Jeff Clark U.S. on Twitter and Getter, at Real Jeff Clark on Truth Social. You can follow the Center for Renewing America uh, by going to our website, which is AmericaRenewing.com. And lastly, Rich, given that I am under this continued attack by the bar, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, I'd appreciate uh, anyone who might want to help out with my legal defense fund, which is GiveSendGo.com slash Jeff Clark. You heard it there, folks. Help them out if you can. Jeff Clark, I want to thank you for being with us. Excellent analysis and insight. I uh, hope to have you back on soon. Great. Thanks a lot, Rich. I enjoyed it and hope to talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right. Godspeed. Folks, we're coming right back. We're going to continue with your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Alex, Brooklyn, New York, listening to WFAS Online. Go right ahead. Hey, hey! thanks so much for taking the call. Great conversation there with your guest. Uh, what's interesting is actually that I, I'm pretty sure that Bill Barr has classified documents in his own possession as well. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised about that. Uh, it's understandable. It's not a problem, but I think he does. I'd be willing to bet $100 on that. But also about the Biden administration, and now there's talk about possibly putting forth an impeachment against him and Republicans are uncovering all these things about Hunter Biden. I think they should wait until after 2024 because I want Joe Biden to remain as the nominee of the Democratic Party. He's the one that we can win against the most. I'm, uh, I think that well, you know, I, I'm going to disagree with you, Alex. I think Kamala Harris is incredibly beatable, way more beatable than Joe Biden is at any point in his career. He's actually in the White House today. Kamala Harris could never get her campaign off the ground. Uh, But I get your point. I just I think I would love to see her run. I really would. I think any one of us could beat her, honestly. (laughs) Alex, thanks for the call. Folks, we're coming back. We're going to talk about what's going on. What is destroying Christianity? We're going to talk about that with Lucas Miles. And then what's going on with China? 
Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening and welcome. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And uh, a couple of interesting things going on in the news tonight that I want to get into. Uh, There's a new poll that shows the number of Americans that are against trans athletes competing outside of their birth gender is growing. This is a Gallup poll that now shows that more than half um, believe that they're not into, they don't believe that they should be competing outside of their birth gender. And more than half are also convinced that changing gender itself is morally wrong, quote unquote according to that new poll. And this is a poll out today. Uh, It's the Gallup's Values and Beliefs Survey shows that a whopping 69%, nearly 7 of every 10 people, now believe trans athletes should only be able to enter events under their birth gender. And that's up from 61% in 2021. So it's growing. And, you know... I would say it makes a lot of sense to me, but I think the real reason this is growing is because as this becomes more prevalent and we're seeing that there's this, you know, the, the real elephant in the room is that there's, there's a mental issue here and, and we need to address that rather than, you know, exacerbate it. But it seems to be some medical professionals think that what they call gender affirming care is really how you fix the problem as opposed to really helping this person is what I would believe that we should do. Uh, but in addition to that, more and more people are just being faced with it when it happens to them, right? When this happens to you, when this hits your backyard, everything's okay when it's somebody else, right? And for years when I would debate with people on social issues, they would say, look, I, look, I don't care, you know, as long as they're not doing anything to me, I don't care. And I say, you see, that's the thing. They're going to do something to you, right? Something's going to happen. This is going to fall on your doorstep one day. And when it does, are you going to still say you don't care? Or are you going to go, you know what? Well, now that it's my little girl, that isn't allowed to play softball uh, anymore because, you know, she's playing against somebody that's pitching, I don't know, you know, 200 miles an hour, and I'm exaggerating, but, you know, somebody that's larger and and, and has more physical prowess because of their um, musculature, because of their gender, their genetic makeup. Um, Yeah, I think you're you're not going to like that when your kid's really number one in the girls' division and then some boy comes in and says, well, I can do that a little bit better than her, and I identify as so-and-so. You know, I mean, come on. But that's what's going on. And it, it begs the, the bigger question. Where are we headed? And if Americans see this as morally wrong, what are we basing our morality on? Now, you know, for me, my morality, most of my uh, worldview is a, a Bible-based Christian worldview. And while I'm probably the most flawed Christian out there, 
Um, I still know right from right and wrong from wrong, whether I choose to do wrong or not. And, and I think that's key, right? We should know true north at some point. Uh, but yet even Christianity or one's faith uh, seems to be under attack. And, and it's always been under attack, but I think the attack is becoming um, more prevalent as we go on. And Christianity seems to be fading in cultural significance and spiritual significance, uh, especially in the younger generation. So I want to talk about that with the author of the new book, Woke Jesus. That's, uh, that's quite a title, right? Woke Jesus, the false messiah destroying Christianity. Pastor Lucas Miles, welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be back. You bet, brother. Always great to talk to you. Um, I remember last time you were on, you teased this book, and it's finally here. I want people to, to, to know more about it. And I really want to get your take on, you know, we, we talked about how there, you know, Marxism and, and, and you know, um, communist sympathizers have, have taken residence inside the church in the past. Uh, but tell us now about the, this new book, this latest installment of yours, because I think it, it really uh, drives uh, a very important point home. You know, look, if we're, able, if we're going to be able to refute wokeism, we have to understand it fully. We have to understand critical race theory. We have to understand Marxism well enough to be able to uh, describe to people why this is an unbiblical framework, why it's antithetical to the Christian gospel, to really American values. And so in this book, Woke Jesus, I really set out to write the definitive work on understanding wokeism, how it's affected the church, what we can do about it, and where do we go from here. Uh, it's something that I want to get in every single Christian's hands, every Christian leader, every Christian pastor, uh, so that we can really take a stand to eradicate wokeism from the American pulpit. You know, and I think this is an important thing. We're seeing it play out um, in, in some big denominations. I know the Methodist Church is facing split after split. Some say it's financial. Others say it's their position on, on sexuality in many ways. So we're seeing this happen not only within the, the church, uh, but, but really I think in society overall. So how do you um, approach this? Uh, I guess what's the, the first step in kind of, uh, you know, explaining or, or understanding wokeism? I think it's important to understand that wokeism within Christianity did not come up overnight. This isn't something new. It's not something that just started with the Biden administration or started with Obama. Certainly they're culpable in pushing this forward and, and you know, probably in many cases funding it. Um, but, but this has been something that's been developing for a long time. So in this book, Woke Jesus, I start off with a historical deep dive to really see the early roots of progressive ideology creeping into the church. We can go back um, to is you know uh, to the 1700s and really see the development of progressive thought in the church. Of course, after uh, the birth of Marxism uh, in the late 1800s, we see the spread of critical theology really coming on the scene and this push to see Jesus as sort of more of uh, the human Jesus over the divine, what I call the great social organizer over being the savior of the world. And this led us into the, the, what was known as the social gospel in the early 1900s, eventually brought us into um, uh, what's known as liberation theology in the Catholic mm -hmm. Church in the 1950s, and then black liberation theology later on after that, 
which kind of gave birth to uh, eventually critical race theory and some of the other expressions. And so here we are today, after all of that, where we have people that are crazy enough to think that Jesus would be, you know, trans affirming or that possibly he was even trans himself because he wore a tunic. And that's a lot like a dress, you know, so <laughs> I've heard. So, I've heard it's, you know, this things. is a long evolution to get here. And and I think that it is very important that we understand it so that we can really debunk it uh, so we can, you know, demolish these arguments. And, and really set people on a right course towards good Christian orthodoxy and the true message of the gospel, which is really the only thing that can truly liberate us from the real oppressive force in the world, and that is sin and death through a personal relationship with Jesus. Folks, we're on with uh, Lucas Miles. He's a pastor. He's the author of the book, Woke Jesus the false messiah destroying Christianity. Uh, we're having a, a discussion on wokeness within the church and how uh, wokeness is now something that they're trying to attach to Jesus. <laughs> and it seems uh, it seems to work in some instances and in others uh, it may not be. And uh, we're having that conversation right now. Stick with us if you have a question, you want to join the conversation. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. We're coming right back with Lucas Miles. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Lucas Miles. He's the author of Woke Jesus. Got to get a copy of the book. I always recommend getting two copies, one for yourself and one that you can give away. And Lucas Miles, tell us why you think uh, so many Christians, or I should say Christianity as a whole, why is it so often demonized in popular culture? We just recently saw the Dodgers uh, ridiculing um, the, the Catholic Church with these drag queen nuns. And it just, it seems like, you know, Hollywood, the music industry, you know, things I like. I like Hollywood. I like the music industry. Uh, but they, they encourage this um, beat down on Christianity. Why is that the norm? You know, I, I think there's actually a shift in this. And, you know, what we, we're used to seeing Hollywood make Christians sort of the, the butt of the joke. We're seeing, you know, where, where, they, where they kind of paint them out to be this holier than thou, you know, uptight you know, maybe judgmental, maybe fault-finding, you know, hyper, hyper-righteous sort of attitude. Um, but what we're seeing now is something that has not happened since really the, the early days of the Christian faith in Rome, and that is where Christian is truly villainized, not for being the, the holy people that are too good for everybody else, but for the first time in about 2,000 years, Christians are being painted as we are the ones who are immoral. We are the ones who are uh, bigoted because we don't hold to, uh, you know, divergent views of sexuality and gender. We're the ones who are, you know, bad for society because uh, of, you know, our, our view of, of uh, uh, you know, marriage or our view of open border or, you know, of, uh, sovereign borders versus open borders. And this is something that Christianity faced in its beginning where it was criticized in Rome for, uh, for being, you know, Christians were accused of being uh, atheists because they didn't worship all the gods of Rome. They were accused of being incestual because they called their spouses brothers and sisters in Christ, and people mm -hmm. didn't understand that. 
So there's a shift that's happening right now where it's not just that Christians are bad because you know they're self-righteous. It's now Christians are wrong, and they're the ones who are immoral. And that's the new talking point that I think we're seeing coming from the radical left in this current administration. And I mean, besides the obvious, but what do you think fuels that? What, what is it because people are um, just willfully attacking whatever's good and holy, or do you think there's a more specific purpose? Look, obviously, in the big picture, you know, as a Christian, I believe that there is a uh, that there's a nefarious thing that's happening spiritually here. I think there's an agenda, you know, where where you know, if you believe in God, you also believe in the enemy, the devil, and and there is a desire to really eradicate everything that represents God. We're seeing that happen, uh, but I think on on more of the horizontal level here in our uh, you know in our humanity. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of move to kind of fund a divisive split in the church. We're seeing, I think, the left recognize they're moving away from being this godless party uh, that we saw during the Obama years, where they removed God from the party platform, to recognizing that they can't win elections unless they talk about faith, unless they talk about God, unless they won, win some of the religious vote. So they're having to create this sort of chasm. Uh, this divide in Christianity between those that hold to a biblical worldview, who they, you know, most of the time would deem Christian nationalists, and those that hold to kind of more of this new woke Jesus uh, iteration that they're that they're imagining, and and I think they're relying on that group to really, you know, um, uh, kind of push them over uh, in in elections and really, you know, public support through convincing people that Jesus, you know, if he were alive today, would be a socialist. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right on that. I remember about six months ago, maybe a year ago, The Atlantic had an article um, that attacked uh, the rosary, saying extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. And and it, it was uh, basically a, an article about what uh, Christian nationalism was and how to look out for it. And again, in my, I always look at these things, you know, perhaps I read in between the lines too much, but I always feel like there's a, an, a, a, a sub-narrative going on of, trying to delegitimize Christianity while, while even reporting on it. And, and it, it seems like that just continues to be the case. And I agree with you. I think there's a shift there. I just don't know if we're going in the right direction. What do you think? Well, I, I, I think in many ways that we are definitely not going in the right direction. But look, I am an optimist, and I believe that the church wins in the end. But that doesn't mean the church in America is always going to thrive. You know, I, I've been thinking lately about all of the just beautiful cathedrals that we have in places like Italy and Germany. You know, tourists flock over to see them. But ultimately, those buildings are a reminder of a church that was once vibrant that now is no longer there anymore because it did not it did not stand in during times that it needed to. And the church ultimately in Europe faltered in many ways. And I think that we have the same risk here in America. And this is a great reminder for us. If we don't stand now, we have the same we have the same you know fate potentially in the future for ourselves i'm optimistic that the church in america is up for the task we've actually created an initiative called america um, uh, it's called americanpastorproject.org and pastors mm-hmm. and church leaders can go to this website they can sign a signatory to stand with us on biblical orthodoxy and to fight against wokeism in the american pulpit we've already had several hundred pastors sign this statement join with us. And we're really trying to, you know, use these resources, the books that I'm putting out, et cetera, uh, to strengthen the local church, to educate them on these topics, to give them a fighting chance against wokeism uh, in, in our, you know, towns throughout this nation. 
you know, Lucas Miles, a couple of months ago, I played a clip of a, of a, of a trans individual on Instagram that was just making these crazy statements about God. And it's about a minute long. I want to play it for you and then get, you know, your reaction to it for about a minute or so before we wrap. Listen to this. So cisness is the wound. Cisness is the delusion. Cisness is the lie. Cisness is the place of pain. Transness is the healing. Transness is the growth. Transness is the truth. Transness is what we actually are. We are fluid. We are 70% water. We are God. God is change. God is trans. We are trans. You are forcing your kids to be boys and girls. We're saying, be whatever you are, baby. Be free, be water, be light, be sky, be God, because guess what? That's what we actually are. What we actually are is trans, is change, is love. We're not the ones doing the forcing. And see God chiming just on time. And, and this is what we're, our youth are facing when they go on social media, Pastor. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm on social media. I make videos on a regular basis answering tough questions in Christianity. And I'm, I'm even on that, that bad platform called TikTok doing that because I believe it's a mission field. Uh, and I'm sure China already has my information. But, you know, I see things like this all the time. And, and the reality is that this is influencing our youth. I mean, this is obviously ridiculous. And this only goes so far. I mean, this message of you can be whatever you want to be. It doesn't matter. You're fluid. Well, what if somebody wants to be, you know, a pedophile? What if somebody wants to be, uh, uh, you know, um, a cannibal? You know, is, is that acceptable? Does that is that fluid still in this world? And maybe we get to a point to where people think that it is and it's OK and it's acceptable. I think in some ways we're pushing in that direction. But the reality is, is that there is a thing called truth. The Bible teaches clearly that there's not your truth, my truth, that there is the truth. And that the truth is summed up in the person of Jesus Christ, who is both God and man. And, you know, the, the reality is that, that some people's minds are, uh, they're blinded, um, they, they're so focused on themselves and, and this self-obsession that they have lost sight of the fact that there is something else bigger going on in this mm-hmm. world, and specifically someone else bigger who created them with a purpose and with a mission. And look, we as Christians, we, we, love, we love the sinner, we hate the sin. And this ideology is damaging to people. We want to see people set free. And let me give a shout out to my friend Walt Heyer. He's got a website called sexchangeregret.com. And for anybody out there who might be struggling with that or thinking about that, this is a man who went through that in his past, came out on the other side through a relationship with Jesus. And, and people, people need that help. They need that support today. Outstanding, Pastor. Now, um, very quickly, tell everybody your website and your handle. Yep, so lucasmiles.org. I'm on uh, social media at Mr. Lucas Miles, MR Lucas Miles. And you can check out the book, Woke Jesus, wherever books are sold. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it. More to come straight ahead. Uh, get two copies of the book, one for you, one for a friend. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and if you want to join the conversation, 833 482 5337. 
888-334-VALDEZ is the phone number. Of course, you're welcome to join us uh, by telephone at any time or online at Rich Valdez with an S on any of the social media platforms. We're going to be uh, opening the phone banks for Open Phone America in a little bit. But first, I want to have a discussion. And it's a discussion on China. Because China does a lot of things from biohacking to spying, to stealing intellectual property. There's so much that China does. And we, we, we discussed this with a number of experts, generals, foreign policy experts, et cetera, authors, because I think it, there, we need to be informed patriots, right? That's what Ronald Reagan said. He said, be a, um, happy conservative warriors, be uh, informed patriots. And I think it's important that we inform ourselves and know what's going on. And if we do it with a little bit of a dose of entertainment, that's fine, too. But we need to know what's going on with China. And one of the things that, that China does is, of course, they're, they're biohacking. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But another thing that they do that we talked about on Friday was spying. Because the Wall Street Journal had this big report that they put out uh, saying that Cuba is now hosting a secret Chinese spy base focusing on the U.S. about 100 miles from Florida. And, of course, um, John Kirby, the national security uh, spokesperson for the Biden administration, he came out and said, no, 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 that's that's not accurate. And uh, and of course, now just that was Friday from Friday to today, there's a change in tune. Right. And I, I believe do we have audio on this as well? All right. So let me give you John Kirby on Friday. Listen to this. China and Cuba have now reached a secret agreement, we are told, for China to establish an electronic facility on the island, which would allow Chinese intelligence services to scoop up electronic communications throughout the southeastern U.S. What is your reaction to this? Uh, look, I've seen that press report. Um, it, it's not accurate. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, we we have been concerned since day one of this administration about uh, China's influence activities uh, around the world, uh, certainly in this hemisphere and in this region. Uh, we're watching this very, very closely, uh, and we will and we have and will continue uh, to take steps uh, to mitigate any potential threat that those activities might pose so that we can make sure and we are and we're positive that we can continue to defend this nation. You're saying it's not accurate that they're planning this? I'm seeing, I, I, I'm saying we've seen the report. Um, uh, it's not accurate. Okay. That's John Kirby last week. Fast forward to John Kirby today. Right, John Kirby today at the White House press briefing. Check this out. And can you just explain why you didn't confirm all of this when it was first reported last week? You said it was inaccurate, but what was inaccurate seemed to basically be the tense that they, you know, weren't going to establish but had already established this facility. Why wait till Saturday to, to, to put this out there? I'm actually really glad you asked that question. Um, uh, I can tell you that that uh, we were as forthcoming as we should have been uh, at the time the first stories appeared. Um, there is uh, the, the sensitive nature of this information is such that we just simply couldn't go into more detail even before the first story appeared uh, to try to better inform that reporting. That's how sensitive this stuff is. We just couldn't be more detailed. Um, and then after the first stories appeared. Um, 
we worked very, very hard, as expeditiously as we could, with uh, the intelligence community to try to get some context downgraded so that we could provide it over the weekend, and we did that. But we were as forthcoming as we should have been, given the nature of this information. All right, so translation for anybody who doesn't speak um, um, the bureaucratic language of Washington, I'll tell you, he's saying this information is so sensitive that we couldn't leak it. And that, in fact, when some good reporters found out what was going on, um, we were then forced to leak uh, the information so that we could control the narrative. <laughs> That's what I hear John Kirby saying. But China's always up to no good. I want to uh, bring in our guest, Brandon Weikert. He's a senior editor at 1945.com, and he's the author of the new book, Biohacked. And I always recommend that you get a two copies of the book, right? One for yourself and one to give away. Again, the book, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Brandon Weikert, welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. Yes, sir. So tell me, I'd like to start with this, if you don't mind, this uh, this China spying stuff before we jump into the biohacking, because uh, I think it's just fascinating to see how our government's reacting. And I'd like to get your uh, reaction to both uh, Kirby's statement and overall, what's up with this spying in Cuba? Well, it's first important to understand that the the pattern of China's pernicious behavior, whether it be in the biotech field that I wrote about in the book, or about what you're talking about with this geopolitical uh, aspect in uh, Cuba, it's all the same type of behavior applied across different domains. And so what we've been witnessing in Cuba and throughout Latin America is China expanding its footprint in this region. And they're doing it for a few different reasons. One of them is it's a rich area of trade and they want to get in on that. But also more importantly, obviously, it is our proverbial backyard. And the Chinese very much want to be able to threaten us in our backyard the way they think we threaten them in their backyard. But even if we weren't operating near Chinese shores, given the nature of the regime in China, they would still be seeking to have a, a very important and, dare I say, imperial uh, role in our hemisphere because they think they should be the top dogs of the world system. And they are working assiduously to get to that point, uh, whether it be in the geopolitical realm or in the high technology realms. They're trying to dominate every aspect of life on Earth so that they, the Chinese Communist Party, as led by Xi Jinping, will be the number one superpower in the world by 2049, the 100th year anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China by Mao Zedong. So this is part of how and why they employ this unrestricted warfare. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what this is. China doesn't want to fight us in a direct fair fight. They know that it would be very bloody, costly, and they might not win in a fair fight. That's why they look to these different aspects. They use trade as a shield to, uh, you know, get their evil plans enacted without us becoming too aware until it's too late. Uh, they use technology, uh, technology development to achieve these objectives, too. Sometimes they even manage to trick Western and American companies and innovators and investors to help them out, thinking that, oh, this is just another trade. 
But in fact, this is part of a pernicious plan to basically uproot the United States as the dominant power and replace it with Chinese power. I tell you, perilous times. Folks, we're on with Brandon Weikert. He's the author of Biohack, China's Race to Control Life. If you want to give us a call, you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So every year, uh, American taxpayers, that we spend billions of dollars uh, to fund, I don't know, something like 18 different spy agencies. And they protect us from all sorts of things, right? Um, they're getting intelligence and they're using their spy power to figure out what's what. And they've got all the technology in the world to, to do what they do. And it's to protect us from things like COVID-19, right, <laughs> that originated in China in Wuhan. And it begs the question, are our spy agencies failing to protect us from China's bio-warfare initiative? I don't know the answer. Brandon Weikert, welcome back. Yes, uh, to your question, I would say that our intelligence services are woefully underprepared for handling the kind of threat that China poses to us. There, our agencies are designed to protect us from conventional threats, the bullet and the bombs. They're not designed, they're trying to get caught up with this, but they're not designed to respond to threats that emanate from what are usually civilian sectors. So biotechnology is a civilian sector. That is how we're developing medicines and next level, you know, technologies to help make life better for people on Earth. Nobody's really thinking about this except the Chinese as, oh, this is a weapon, a potential weapon to use against rivals. And so the, the U.S. intelligence community as a whole is basically having to completely reorient the way that it views threats in, the, in this part of the 21st century and they're, and they're having a difficult time doing it, which is why I think they missed uh, uh, COVID-19. As you know, I, in the book, I, I make it very clear, and I have a lot of connections to the U.S. Intelligence and Defense, De Defense Department. Um, I do a lot of consulting work. Um, I am convinced uh, that, that COVID-19 was engineered in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, I trace the, the funding mechanisms from not just Chinese sources into that lab, but U.S. sources, uh, the National Institute of Health, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious All right. Diseases. We're on with Brandon Weikert. Uh, he's the author of Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. And <clears throat> the, uh, the question again is whether we're actually doing what we need to do. Brandon Weikert says that we are woefully unprepared or underprepared 
for what is facing us. But to me, I think the question is, um, are we going to continue to miss these things? And I don't know the answer, right? I don't know if we will continue to, to miss these things or not miss these things. But the, the fact remains that we've got China doing everything they can to come at us in terms of intellectual property theft, right? Stealing stuff, counterfeiting. Uh, China doing everything they can, including, uh, you know, all but moving into Florida. You know, they're moving into Cuba. to, And from what we understand, they've been there and they're just expanding and adding uh, to, to these facilities to spy, right? We've known about Havana syndrome and how they use these audio frequencies and whatnot to mess with people's heads. Um, there's a lot going on. And here we are, and I, I don't feel like we're, we're up to speed or even like playing the same game, right? You know, it's like we're, we're here uh, having a softball game and, and they're full out MMA in the octagon. So uh, I don't know. I feel like it's a, a mismatched um, issue. It's a mismatched battle, I guess, why they call it unrestricted warfare. I think we lost Brandon Weikert, but we're going to work on getting him back right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so it seems China was upset with what I was saying and cut off one of my feeds where I couldn't hear our guest. Uh, so um, we have our guest, and uh, China, if you're listening, we have backup feeds, so don't get fresh. Welcome back, Brandon Weikert. Now, we left off, uh, we were talking about a number of things, but you were explaining to us about uh, something that you'd written about in your book, and again, the book is Biohack. And I recommend everybody get uh, not one, but two copies of Biohack, China's Race to Control Life. Go to wherever you get your books and pick up one for yourself and one to give away. People need to know what's going on with China. Brandon Weikert, let's continue. Yes, uh, China is being very funny today, I guess, with all of the technical issues. I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was saying that... Um, Basically, uh, I, I know that this came from a lab. Now, the question is, did COVID, was it an accidental leak as tend to be the prevailing belief among lab leak theory people? Uh, Senator Tom Cotton has explicitly written and said repeatedly that he thinks it was a accidental leak. Um, but in the book, I outline just how and why um, it might not have been an accident that it might have been what two Marine Corps intelligence officers told me on background. They were referring to it as a biological 9/11, and um, the 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 NIH and NIAID, that's Dr. Anthony Fauci's group, were funding the gain of function research that was going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, they they were looking to get cures and better, uh, you know innovations that they could either benefit from financially or get prestige from helping to create, they weren't looking at this the way the Chinese were, which was that this was a bioweapon. And in fact, the Chinese in 2015, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, their military, 
their senior medical uh, professionals in the PLA got together and wrote a white paper that I found and I cited in my book in which they explicitly outlined how the Chinese military would weaponize coronaviruses and then deploy them against a target rival nation in order to collapse that nation's medical system and their financial system to have political effects. And so what happened in 2020, if you remember here in America, right before COVID came along, this country was the best it had ever been in decades. Our economy was humming. Uh, things were going well. I mean, we had some political controversy, but the country itself was doing the best it had been decades. And then COVID hit, and it's like it erased all of those gains that had happened under Trump. And, uh, of course, under Trump, the United States, for the first time in 50 years, was not just saying China was a threat, but we were actually taking the actions to mitigate the Chinese threat, which the Chinese, of course, didn't like. Uh, and so they're using in China all of these tools we've given them, like CRISPR-Cas9, which is the gene editing tool that we created. And they're using it not to create vaccines and better cures and, and, and whatever. They're using it to actually create weapons that will be deployed against us and any other group that the Chinese don't like. Chinese refer to this as specific ethnic genetic attacks, and they're mm. not only using it on coronaviruses, but they're also using this genetic attacks on Muslim Uyghurs who are being held in their concentration camps in Xinjiang in Western China, where those prisoners are forced to give over their DNA to the Chinese government. The Chinese government hands it over to Beijing Genomics Institute, which is their largest company that deals with genetics, and then that company puts it into a gene bank and creates, it's believed, is creating weapons, biological weapons that can either knock out an entire subgroup of people the Chinese government doesn't like or wipe out individuals. And that's the world wow. we're heading into. That's insanity. Uh, I want everybody to know where they can get the book, Brandon Weikert. If you want to know more about this, you got to get the book Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Brandon, let them know. You can get it anywhere. Uh, they sell books, Amazon online, Barnes and Noble, online and at the store. Anywhere they sell books, you'll find it. Uh, and you can also, of course, follow me on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social, where my handle for all three is at we the Brandon. <laughs> I love that, at we the Brandon. <laughs> all right, folks, make sure you give them a follow there. Check out the book, Biohack, China's Race to Control Life. Brandon Weikert, I want to thank you for joining us. Excellent conversation, despite the thank Chinese you. interference. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, promoting this most important book. You got it, brother. Hope to do it again soon. And, folks, straight ahead, we've got Open Phone America, a longtime tradition on this program, and we're just about to kick that off. So you can get your calls in now, get them in early so that we can have your discussion, what you want to talk about on everything under the sun, including everything we've discussed this evening. The phone number for that is always 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you on Open Phone America. Plus, I want to talk about this, uh, how obesity might change your brain permanently. <clears throat> That's interesting, right? So we're going to get into that and a couple of other topics as well. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. Open Phone America starts right now. Don't move a muscle.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And it's Monday, the Monday edition of uh, America at Night. Happy to be here with you. It's Open Phone America, hour number three of the program, where you guys get to call in and let your voices be heard. Our telephone number is 833-482-5537, 833-482-5537, or 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I want to uh, just circle back a little bit. We talked with uh, former assistant U.S. Attorney General Jeff Clark earlier on how they've come after him specifically with subpoenas and now with an attack on his law license because of his position in the Trump administration, wanting to, as an assistant attorney general, wanting to investigate um, allegations of voter fraud during the 2020 election. And that is now has him with his back against the wall, potentially losing his ability to practice in the District of Columbia. Then we talked to Pastor Lucas Miles, who was talking about the wokeification of America, how they're even trying to wokeify Jesus and how Christianity is uh, suffering uh, as a result of, of this woke culture that's taking over um, all over the place. Now, we also have discussion on China, right? How uh, China is just doing underhanded things, whether it's a secret spy base that they have in Cuba where they've been hitting people with Havana syndrome for years, um, you know, playing that some high-frequency sound that ruins your your whole ability to cognate uh, once you've heard it and causing damage. And of course, spying, just being a hundred miles away from Florida and doing whatever they can to learn about what's going on in the United States and everything else that they've done that's nefarious, including, you know, creating the COVID-19 virus and then letting it leak from a lab, which is now, I think, proven, I think, by, by and large by everybody. Um, some still say theory, but I think that our government has concluded that that, that is likely the case, right? So, um, and, and they all believe it's accidental, which I'm going to say it probably was, being that it killed a ton of people in China. But anyway, that's what we're talking about. And of course, anything that you want to bring to the table and add to the conversation. Uh, I want to go to Brody in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Brody, what's going on? What say you, Mr. Valdez? How have you been doing? I, I hope I, hope I am you well. Thank the you. Whole, uh, I hope you're okay with the the smoke. I don't know how far you live from New York, and you were safe, and you got through it. And oh yeah, that. yeah. Well, it was bad for the one day that we had. I think one, maybe two days, it was really bad. And uh, like the first day, you could smell it. The second day, it was orange. The whole sky was orange. It looked like a you know some sort of crazy dawn all day long. 
And uh, it was horrible. Like, you, you couldn't be outside without covering your face because you felt like you were in a fire. And I've actually been in a fire when I was 12 years old. My, my house burned down. And um, I totally remembered what that was like. And this was somewhat similar to that, minus the heat. But, Brody, what's on your mind? I wanted, I wanted to ask you. I got a lot on my mind. Um, the, the last, your guest was wonderful. The, Brandon, uh, with W, I can't remember. I, I'm going to read his book. Oh, Brandon Weicker. And I just wanted, yes, I enjoyed that guest very much. I actually called in to talk to him, and I hope he's listening. Because in 2020, or when uh, the State of the Union address was being done by, you know, Donald Trump, and it was a new president and everything, this is before the COVID. But what I would like to know, and everybody needs to investigate this across America, is the tariff uh, laws that he put in to level the playing field with us in China. Uh, I need to investigate whether the Biden administration undid that deal to give us a fair shake at you know, competing against China. I mean, the first plan of effect was him shutting down the pipeline, we all know. So mm-hmm. I was wondering if you know exactly what uh, he did, uh, what Biden has done to undo it. And, you know, God willing, and because I'm a patriot, wh- how do you think that maybe the next administration, which I hope is Republican, would be able to turn it back so it's like even the playing field? Because if we do well in the world, everybody does well. So it's just not fair. And I don't even want to get sidetracked with the, the Wuhan, uh, you know, for crimes yeah, no, against understood. the world. <laughs> yes. That's my question yeah, so to you. It, 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 it's a little bit of a convoluted answer, but but the the answer is <clears throat> so Trump on his way out, right, had had these tariffs in and, and he had hiked them up a lot on all sorts of products. Uh, and I think it was on probably something north of $300 billion worth of, of goods at the time. Uh, Biden came in and made some changes to them, but they're still in place. And they, they continually, according to the Biden people, they review them. But now they're down to about $200 billion or $250 billion uh, worth of goods. And and the percentage is what, what they're reviewing. So I think um, there was like an overall of 25%. And then they... Uh, they, they started to stagger on certain things anywhere from like seven and a half to 10% on, on the imports. So, um, the end, I guess, you know, the simple answer is, uh, yeah, China's getting a better deal with Biden, but not by, um, not by a mile, right? I, he stands a chance to say, all right, we, we've held on to them. We're going to let the, some of these go and whatnot, but they haven't been, uh, totally removed the way he did with, uh, energy production. Right. With energy production, that was a really uh, hard and fast turnaround on anything that Trump did. Trump had everybody drilling all over the place for natural gas and oil, et cetera. And obviously, that's not the case. This was Biden uh, doing everything that he could do to stop fossil fuel production in the United States or at least slow it down and and definitely not add any new production. Uh, Of course, Trump's vision was not just to be energy independent, where we provide our own energy and didn't need to rely on foreign sources. Uh, But his goal was to become energy dominant, which they reached for a while. um, But it didn't last because of of the the closure of the economy due to covid. And then, of course, Biden's um, reversal of all of that with executive orders coming in. So, you know, I'll never forget. I think Biden signed 54 executive orders coming into office. Uh, like that first two days that he was in office. 
his first week, if you will. And uh, it, it's had a tremendous impact on the economy. And of course, a lot of people will, will never blame Biden and they'll always blame the economy for, for COVID, right? It's COVID's fault. COVID did this. COVID did that. But we're, we see it in all sorts of areas. I mean, you, you name it and we see it happening. I mean, I went out over the weekend with some friends. You see it in the cost of food and the cost of drinks. Um, looking for a, a used car for my kid. Um, you see it there for sure. You know, just a few short years ago, what cars were going for, I mean, they're probably double in price. So, I mean, it's just, we're seeing uh, all of this happen and not to um, convolute things too much. Uh, inflation is a separate issue from from the tariffs on China, which I think we should always maintain. We should definitely maintain uh, the, the tariffs on China. We should definitely make sure that that's the case. Um, I know that Biden has... Uh, in stages, reduce these tariffs. I think um, their next goal is $160 billion worth of goods um, and and bring that down to a range of 7.5% to 15% on, on that. I don't think it's a great idea. I don't think we need to be friendly with China at all. Uh, but again, there's critics that'll say, no, you do need to be friendly with China because you have to work with everybody. And when you work with everybody, then you know you, you don't have this animosity because you turn your back on certain people and then China turns to those people like the BRICS countries and says, hey, let's create our own reserve currency and cut the Americans out of it. And again, um, I guess it's a matter of, of where you think we need to put our focus. Uh, I don't think that we should bend, right, or, or cow to threats from from smaller um, under or less or developing nations uh, saying, oh, if you're not going to be, if we're not, you know, we're, we're happy to do business with you, United States, but if we're not, then we're just going to hop into bed with China. Well, that's a per- political reality for sure. Uh, we don't need to be guided by that. It's just, it's a rule of thumb. You know, it's there and, and you do what you got to do. Uh, I'm not ever make my decisions on how I'm going to do what I'm doing based on so-and-so not liking me, right? Because, oh, India might decide to go, uh, you know, in with China. They're going to do what they're going to do regardless. And I, we have to, it's our job in creating foreign policy to try and minimize those situations. And you know, this is why we have foreign aid, a.k.a. bribery. And we bribe these countries to be on our side. But at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. And you have to do because you've got to maintain order, right? This, there has to be order. Now, a lot of people listening to me thinking, oh, come on, Rich. No, you're one of those. Yeah, I, you have to be one of those. If you're not one of those, then you leave vacuums. You know, if you're not think of it like selling drugs on the corner, if you're if you're not just because you leave your corner and you don't sell drugs anymore, doesn't mean somebody else is going to come and do it. So if you want to have control, if you want to be a superpower, then you've got to be there to broker the deals and maintain the peace and and police things when you need to police them, because otherwise someone else will do it and take all the clout that you have on the street. And that's ultimately how uh, I see foreign policy. Forgive me if it's a crass New York analogy, but I think we have to do that. Sometimes we have to be uh, the global police and sometimes we have to, you know, play to pay to play because that's lamentably how I think uh, things work geopolitically. But anyway, I hope that was uh, an answer (laughs) to your question. I appreciate the call, Brody, calling in uh, from Pittsburgh on KDKA. Folks, we're getting to the rest of your calls straight ahead. We're going to go to We've got calls from Missouri, from North Carolina, and more coming in 
888-333, the number four, Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. nothing unusual about this. Millions of Americans go through this process. Uh, and, uh, and so as soon as uh, we were able uh, to, to hear from the, um, uh, from the physician about where the president's uh, status was today, we certainly shared that with all of you. Now, I know it's customary for people to share what's going on with the president, but really a root canal. What do I care of why Joe Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, what do I care? What do you care about him and his teeth. I mean, really. I, I know there's a public schedule and whatnot, but I really don't want to know what he's doing with his teeth. I mean, listen, when you have a diet where you eat all this ice cream, the guy's always eating ice cream. When he's not busy sniffing this, the hair of children or swimming naked in front of the Secret Service, he's clearly eating ice cream. And this is causing cavities. So now he's getting a double root canal or whatever root canal pr- procedure he had today. And I don't I don't understand why we're even talking about it. So we're going to stop talking about that. We're going to get back to your calls. Let's go to Catherine in Rolla, Missouri. KTTR. Catherine, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I'm Roman Catholic. I prefer Latin Mass. Um, I dislike it. I'm pre-Vatican too. So the changes all came after I was grown. Catherine, turn down your radio because we're getting feedback and it's difficult to hear you. You're kidding. <laughs> I'm not. Um, sorry right. about that. Go ahead. That's um, all right. But uh, the, the idea, is that when they showed that list on the news and there we were down number 10, and I looked at it, and I said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And then I decided, well, I kind of like being a domestic terrorist. I've not done that before. It, it, <laughs> I'll wear my label proudly. I'm Catholic. Are you sure you want to do this? I'm a domestic terrorist, you know. <laughs> that is so funny. And, of course, you're talking about how the FBI used undercover agents to investigate Catholics inside of churches. And this is according to information that's come out of hearings, uh, congressional hearings from the Committee on the Weaponization of Government. And uh, you're right, Catherine. They they tried to say that uh, there's a, a growing group of domestic terrorists inside the Catholic Church. And, of course, uh, some individuals in the FBI came forward and said, look, we're as whistleblowers, they came forward and they testified under oath that this stuff, one of them was even on the show that this was uh, a concerted effort by those in the FBI to create a problem where there was not one. There is not, in fact, uh, terrorists that are coming out of Catholic churches. And you sound like a very sweet woman. And I know you're not really a domestic terrorist. And you say that in jest, tongue in cheek. 
But the reality is the FBI really did do these things, right? They really are saying and targeting uh, people within the church because they, they realize there is an attack on faith all around. If you can attack faith and destroy faith, just imagine how much easier it is to get people to worship at the altar of the government. So people can focus on the government instead of focusing on their own two feet and, and, and their own ingenuity and their own ability to pursue the American dream and do what they want to do to make it in this life. You know, wrong guy, right, Catherine? They, did, they got the wrong girl and the wrong guy because you sound like you're, you're very feisty and you're willing, to, you're willing to give them a fight for what you believe in. And, and so am I. I'm a kid that, you know, as a teenager, I started a business and it was a really good business. And I went from that business to another business and eventually ended up doing what I'm doing now. I've had nothing but opportunity in America. And I'm the last guy that you're going to find to say something bad. And if this is what being a domestic terrorist looks like, then, hey, we're a pretty good looking bunch. Right, Catherine? Oh, honey, I'm little and cute. <laughs> little and cute. You sound little and cute. And I want to thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody listening in your part of the country, Rolla, Missouri on KTTR. Thank you, Catherine. That's very sweet. Uh, let me see. Do we have, well, we, we, we do, but we don't. Let us go to Everett. Everett is in Kunakakai, Hawaii, listening on KMRS. I hope I said that right. Everett, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Aloha. How are you doing? Aloha. Well, so uh, I'm calling in regards to uh, the volcano over on the Big Island that happened to be Pele shooting, shooting some arrows out in the sky again. I didn't understand that. It's shooting what? It, 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 it's, it's the volcano. Kilowatt. I know. I heard everything except you said it's shooting again. <laughs> No, nah, it's it's just going up. Uh, so, what what is it shooting? Again, it's not. It's shooting lava. Lava. So there's like a, an eruption. Eruption. Wow, I don't know anything about volcanoes. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, <laughs> and we don't have volcanoes there. We do have like manholes that you know explode every now and again. But outside of that, that's about it. Uh, so what, what's the process? What's the proceed? Oh, the music means we got to go. Thank you for the update from Kuna Kai Kai, Hawaii, uh, sitting on KMRS out of Minneapolis. Everett, thank you. Uh, the music means they're kicking both of us out of here. But I was curious to know how we handle when uh, these eruptions occur. I guess we'll find out another time. Anyway, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. that you could 
have a trial, um, defendant be convicted, somehow win the election, be sworn in as president or whenever it happens. Um, that seems inconsistent with our, our, our notion of, of, of fairness, of, of the rule of law. Uh, at, at that point, I would hope that an impeachment proceeding um, might be considered, um, not only considered, brought, and ultimately he would be removed um, from office. The, the notion that a convicted felon, convicted felon, uh, would serve as president of the United States is is absurd. It is simply absurd. So if, if he is convicted, he's still running. Uh, you think there should be an impeachment hearing, impeachment proceedings in Congress, and that could be a step they could take there. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, that's assuming that he's convicted and that's assuming that he wins the election. It's amazing to me that this pendejo was once the attorney general of the United States, Eric Holder. This was uh, Obama's wingman, his term, not mine. Now, Eric Holder, now, I'm going to be clear here. I I don't want a convicted felon in the White House. It's not my preference. It's not my choice. It's not what I wake up in the morning and desire. However, there is criteria to become president. And it's very clear that Trump can get locked up, win the election, and run this country from jail. That's legal. And I don't think that's going to happen. And I hope that it doesn't happen. But I think they need to be prepared for that. And I think there's a growing number of Americans that are like, look, I miss those Trump days. I'm so sorry, but my 401k looked healthier. Uh, Those that have money in investments, other investments, uh, things look better. People that run small mom and pop shops, they did more business. That means more, uh, more business at bigger companies as well. And everybody was doing better. People were taking more vacations and the annual household income was up about $6,500 per family, right? This is, and it was an average, but again, 6,500, that's the biggest it'd been in, I don't know, I think ever, uh, or at least in modern history. Uh, now it's down more than that. Annual, uh, the average household income is now down like 7000 or $7,200 a year. So clearly, People miss those good times. And uh, I'm not saying that we're going to stay stuck where we are forever, but we're in a bad spot. And it just happens to be one that Biden's policies help to create. And that's just a fact. Uh, The spending during the end of the Trump administration also contributed to that. But there's a difference. We, there was an active pandemic where everybody was looking at Trump saying, come on, shut down the economy, put on a mask, don't let anybody work, don't let anybody go to school, don't let anybody do anything, don't let people have a baby with more than one person in there, let people watch their family members die on Zoom videos. So that was the situation that we were put in. That was not the situation that we remained in. And it didn't require the amount of spending that Biden uh, henceforth went forward and spent. But anyway, the point is not a good place to be. But more and more Americans, I think there's a whole study on this. I I was talking about it earlier. Let me see if I find it here. CBS YouGov poll. National security risk. Right here. 78% say the... The documents were not a national security risk. Trump's documents. 
So are we really talking about law and order? Are we really talking about something that needs to be? This is a civil statute, by the way, the Presidential Records Act, and they're turning it into a federal case that's uh, a felony. He's, they're making it a felony, saying that there's some sort of violation of the Espionage Act or obstruction of justice on a civil issue, something that could be resolved very easily. Anyway, we'll see what happens as this moves forward. But most people, I think, uh, don't care. And that's according to the other poll. Uh, 61% of Americans say they don't care that they're still going to vote for Trump, irrespective of this indictment. So take that for what it's worth. Talking about law and order. Let's go to Mary, St. Joseph, Missouri, listening uh, out of Iowa on KMA. Hi, Mary. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rich. You're so smart. I wish I could be as smart as you. You just have so many good (laughs) answers. I love it. Oh, stop. You're going to make me blush. Oh, good. I think you're cute with red cheeks. I, I can only imagine. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. Yes, ma'am. Silly, but, you know, there's so much crap going on that, you know, it's hard to deal with it. So I have to be funny, you know, try to find some yes. fun in it. But anyway. And you're very I sweet. Just because. What? I said, and you're very sweet. Go right ahead. Me? Me? Oh, okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um. Yeah, there was a story on news, on the news in Kansas City here tonight, and seems this man and his wife went to Luke Combs' concert at Arrowhead Stadium, and as he was waiting for the rain to slow down, these guys came by and, you know, say he could get into the concert. These About five guys came and opened the hatch of his car and the door, and they were giggling, and they were harassing him. So he gets out of the car, and they're choking him and beating him, they broke his ankle in three places. Of course, he ended up in wow. the hospital. But he calls 911, and it took 15 minutes for them to answer the call. To and arrive on that, the scene or to, like, pick up the phone? To pick up the phone. It took an hour wow. for them to get there with the ambulance. Wow. Can you imagine? That's horrible. And two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, the mayor of Kansas City, Quentin Lucas, you probably heard Mm -hmm. of him. He's a super nice mayor, a good guy. His mother collapsed, and his sister called 911, and it took five minutes for the 911 dispatcher to answer the phone. They're saying there's like a 25% shortage of, of 911 dispatchers. In Kansas City, I'm like, is this going on other places, too? You know, I, I don't know anything about uh, Mayor Lucas. I do know that in many large cities across the country that sadly are run by Democrats are facing all sorts of problems with crime, uh, with um, with underfunding things. You know, I would hate to think that years ago, just a couple of years ago, when people were calling for the police to be defunded, that those towns that took that seriously and took it into account went and reduced their police staff, which are typically the first responders that show up with, you know, an oxygen tank and can stabilize someone until the ambulance gets there. Um, They've been cut in so many places. There are less and less cops. They're facing the, the battle of attrition. You've got less people becoming cops and more cops retiring. So there's a big attrition problem. Um, I, I don't know the particulars of this story, but it sounds horrible. And I mean, we, we've, we've seen this happen in New York where 
again, uh, this Marine uh, held a guy until, um, you know, until they got to the next stop to, to turn him over to the police and to keep him away from hurting people on a train. And the guy dies in a chokehold. Um, and it, it's it, it's a very unfortunate situation. Um, and we have some audio from that Marine who um, is being charged there. And uh, again, I always said, follow the facts and check everything out. Uh, I don't think this guy did anything wrong, per se. I think uh, they needed to do what their due diligence. And, uh, you know, since then, I've learned that uh, an assistant district attorney looked at that case and said, uh, we're not going to charge him. And then it was the district attorney that came back and said, I want to charge him, uh, which I think is totally wrong. Because, you know, if you'd already looked at the case and said you're not going to do it, then don't do it and stick with the uh, with the plan, which was it was self-defense or whatever it was. And, and it was unintentional. But this is where we are. The the political pressures that are put on on so many issues of life that ought not to be influenced by politics, but they are. And these are political realities when somebody's outside of a, an arena and they're calling for, for help and they can't get help because nobody picking up the phone. And th- these are problems that shouldn't happen, but are happening. And it, it's, uh, it, it sucks, Mary. It really does. Well, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I say you, you know, got to vote them out of office. I mean, I, I can't help but think most things are pol- uh, political. I, I don't, like I said, I don't know the mayor, but I know that many Democrats in big cities are ruining these big cities. And I, my, my, my advice would be to get with the mayor and say, look, if your family's not getting help and these other families aren't getting help, then somebody's got to make a change. And if you're not man enough to do it, or if you're not uh, able-bodied to do it, then let's get somebody in office who can, whether we like how they tweet or not. Right, Mary? Well, he's up for re-election. But, you know, overall, I've been pleased with Lucas. He's, he's really helped Kansas City a lot economically, and he doesn't want to defund the police. He's very supportive of the police. Well, then push him. And they're, push they're him to just, do more. They just push him can't. to do better. Well, I don't live in Kansas City. I live up north of St. Joe. And, they, you know, they have their problems with the police, too. Yeah. They well, just then, can't get qualified people to apply. Well, and, and there's a reason for that, because <laughs> people have been attacking cops left and right, and too many people have allowed the attack to continue. Instead of standing up, look, uh, the police chief in New York City just resigned, is what I understand. I didn't even read a news report. I saw a, another former uh, police commissioner in New York tweeting about it, saying, what a loss for New York City. Uh, why? Because they probably didn't let her run the department. And when, as you, if you keep tying the hands of good cops, this is the problem you're going to have. This is by design. It's not by accident. Thanks for the call, Mary. I appreciate it. Your calls and more straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich 
many of us have long been concerned, Rev, and you've been a leading voice in this regard, uh, that if right-wing folks in this country concluded that they could no longer win elections democratically, they wouldn't abandon conservatism, they'd abandon democracy. And what we're seeing from some of these calls to violence uh, coming from some of the more extreme members of the right wing in this country is an abandonment of democracy. And that should frighten everyday Americans. So that's uh, Hakeem Jeffries. He's the minority leader in the House of Representatives. And he uh, is saying that we should be frightened. We should be frightened by what we're seeing because of right wing extremists. Now, again, I don't know which right wing extremists he's talking about, um, but uh, apparently um, they should be scared. <laughs> and they should be scared because we're abandoning democracy because Donald Trump um, exists. The reality is we're abandoning our democracy. We're demanding, uh, we're abandoning uh, our tradition as a country when we are not really affording due process, when we're not allowing Trump to have attorney client privilege, when you, I mean, his basic rights as a human being, as a, as a, as a citizen are being violated, let alone as a former president and, and the rights and privileges afforded to him thereof. But all they like to do is just say no one is above the law and nobody's making the case that Trump should be above the law. I think if anything, they're saying just don't treat him as if he's beneath the law, right? Where the, the law doesn't protect him. We have equal rights and equal protection and we, and he doesn't seem to be getting those, uh, at least from what I can see. Let's go to TJ calling from Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, KRMS. Go right ahead. Hey, how you doing? I would like when everybody who voted for I'd, I'd like everybody who voted for Trump and who supports him to think that the indictment tomorrow is actually us. They'd like to arrest all of us. They'd like to put us in jail. And you just heard Jeffries. We're all criminals. And you can look at what they've done to the J6ers. Just uh, trash their rights. You've got judges that are left wing. I mean, D.C. is so polluted. But they're trying to get the message out that it's their government. It's not our government. And how dare we raise our ugly heads? Now, if you want to vote for Chris Christie or Pence, that's okay. But not Trump, because he's not going to play ball with us. And we're all mm-hmm. being indicted tomorrow. Every one of us. Yep, TJ, I think you make an excellent point. And it's literally the, the best response to Hakeem Jeffries that I've heard yet. Uh, he's saying that we're abandoning democracy and that this is a, a, an all-out assault on every American. And I agree that it is, but not in the way that he sees it. I believe in the way that you're seeing it. Whereas this is all of us being indicted tomorrow. This is every American uh, now standing a chance to lose their rights to due process, to lose, um, you know, just any semblance of tradition, to have civil statutes become criminal ones because it benefits the FBI to pursue the case that way. Things that are just typically aren't done and would not withstand uh, the scrutiny of most courtrooms, but they are now. And, and and it's it's really a shame to see that that's happening. TJ, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Missouri on KRMS. Let's go to Matt. He's near Moorhead City, North Carolina, calling us on WTKF. Matt, go right ahead. Yes, sir. I didn't want Welcome. to know it was on a straight line to be exact. My question is quick and direct. Tens of million people 
tens of millions want your opinion on this, including my two closest lady friends. Here's mm-hmm. the question, quick and to the point. And your opinion is all. Very distinct question. Why would Bob Barr at one point totally support Donald Trump? Now, the latest thing in the end of the question is, now he says, we did three days ago, Trump can win the primary or never win the general election. Millions of people are waiting for your opinion on that. I assure you. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Matt. Uh, I believe that Bill Barr, uh, former uh, U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr, was somehow aggrieved by Trump. Um, and I believe they they both have publicly said that their disagreements mainly stemmed over the uh, election issue of 2020, where Barr refused to, to look at things. I can tell you that there is a culture in Washington, and I spoke about it, I think, a little bit yesterday, this honor amongst thieves, right? It's like it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat crook or a Republican crook. As long as you're a crook, we've got to look out for one another, right? If you're both drug dealers on the block, you hate each other and your rivals until the cops come, then it's like us against them. They're the bad guys. So Trump represents everything they don't want. He's a man that doesn't need to make money off of the government because he's made some money and he's built a good empire. So what happens? They have to turn on Bill Barr is in it for himself. He was already attorney general. He's attorney general again. Great. I think he was always part of that establishment and he played ball with Trump as long as he could. Eventually he showed his um, rhino deep state roots and everybody is able to see it. It doesn't surprise me in the least. This is a guy that served under Bush and we should have expected it and seen it coming. And that's all I've got on that one. Matt, thank you for your call up next. What's the story with obesity in your brain? We're going to find out. This is America night with rich valdez no hair no care and live on the air it's rich valdez all right, America, welcome back. And uh, so listen to this. Obesity changes the brain with no sign of reversibility, according to experts. And uh, the, the new study finds that obesity may change the brain's ability to recognize the sensation of fullness and to be satisfied after eating fats and sugars. So these brain changes may last even after people considered medically obese lose a significant amount of weight, possibly explaining why many people often regain the pounds they lose. Yeah, well, that has to do with willpower, but I get it. Um, yeah, I think you get used to overeating and it triggers these dopamine responses, at least my, my own uh, personal situation. Um, I get happy when I eat certain things, right? It's like, oh man, I love this stuff. And whether you're fat or skinny, you still love that stuff and you like eating it. Because who doesn't like to be happy after eating, I don't know, ask Joe Biden when he eats ice cream, right? Anyway, um, we'll continue that conversation mañana. Until then, take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, keep it locked right on this station. Lots of great radio programming, and we'll do this again tomorrow. 
the Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.